Due to the graphic nature of these events, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of child marriage, incest, and addiction. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. May 16, 1836, at a boarding house in Richmond, Virginia. 27-year-old writer Edgar Allan Poe stood at the altar awaiting his bride, who was his cousin, Virginia Clem. A witness at the ceremony swore that the bride was 21 years old, the age listed on the marriage certificate, and not a day younger. The Reverend, too, agreed Clem looked like a mature woman, so he shrugged off any suspicion. He didn't object to the union and married the two cousins. Over the years, though, both were proven wrong. It's been famously revealed that Edgar's wife wasn't 21. She was just 14 years old. His incestuous, perverse marriage has been a blemish on his legacy for centuries leading historians to keep debating the sordid details of Edgar's life. Because while his famous writings hold their own horrors, many have read between the lines when it comes to his twisted marriage and even his tragic death. Some theories have been innocuous, but others still threaten to tarnish Edgar's illustrious legacy forever. Welcome to The Dark Side Of, a Spotify original from Parcast, a show where we will delve into the seedy underbelly of pop culture icons and historical events. We aim to expose the ugly truth behind cultural moments and public figures we hold most dear, proving that there is always more to the story than meets the eye. I'm your host, Richard. And I'm Kate. You can find all episodes of The Dark Side Of and all other originals for free on Spotify. Over the past two weeks, we've explored the depths of haunted houses and Hollywood-produced horror. Today, we're concluding our look into the macabre with a deep dive into the master of the genre, renowned author Edgar Allan Poe. Poe achieved critical acclaim with his bone-chilling literary works such as The Telltale Heart and The Raven. But behind his writing's success was a life filled with heartbreak, tragedy, and death. This episode of The Dark Side Of will be our last for a while as we go on hiatus. We've enjoyed taking you through grim realities behind your favorite pop culture and historical topics, as well as hearing your engagement and feedback. From everyone on The Dark Side Of team, thank you for listening. Coming up, we'll dig into Poe's angst-filled early years. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. 
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Over 25 years ago, on September 29, 1998, we watched a brainy girl with curly hair drop everything to follow a guy she only kind of knew all the way to college. And so began Felicity. My name is Juliette Littman, and I'm a Felicity superfan. Join me, Amanda Foreman, who you may know better as Megan, the roommate, and Greg Grunberg, who you may also know as Sean Blunberg, as the three of us revisit our favorite moments from the show and talk to the people who helped shape it. Listen to Dear Felicity, presented by Walmart on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We know Edgar Allan Poe today as the master of mystery, the grandfather of horror. He was far from the first author to pen scary stories, but Poe perfected the form. To this day, the genre still uses some of the literary techniques he popularized. During his lifetime, Edgar's way with words impressed the literary elite. His work was published in numerous journals and magazines. This legacy endured into the next century, and his writing continues to strike fear in the hearts of modern readers. But behind his growing success, Edgar's personal life was filled with disappointment and despair, starting with his earliest years in Boston. Born in 1809 to two struggling actors, Edgar Poe was orphaned at just two years old. After his father abandoned the family and then died a few months later, his mother died the same year, likely of tuberculosis. Edgar and his two siblings were separated, but luckily Edgar was taken in by the affluent Allen family who lived in Virginia. John and Francis Allen were a childless couple who lived in Richmond. Francis had always wanted a family, but John didn't. He already had at least one illegitimate son with a mistress. But John himself was an orphan, so he relented when it came to Edgar. The couple never formally adopted him, remaining his foster parents. Despite that formality, the Allens eventually gave Edgar their name, making him Edgar Allen Poe. Though John didn't entirely warm up to him, Frances doted on Edgar as the son she'd always wanted. So Edgar still ended up with all the expected trappings of Richmond High Society. Elegant clothing, fancy vacations, and an education from English boarding schools. In the classroom, Edgar showed an interest in writing early on. By 1820, the 11-year-old had already amassed a whole notebook of poetry, with dreams of publishing it one day. By 1823, 14-year-old Edgar had his first crush. He was infatuated with his friend's mother, Jane Stannard. Whenever John Allen scolded him, the boy fled to Jane's house, located a few blocks away. She comforted him, and Edgar loved every minute. He called Jane his first, purely ideal love of my soul. During the following spring, though, Jane became very sick, physically and mentally. She died in April 1824, leaving 15-year-old Edgar inconsolable. He often visited her grave with her son. Edgar wanted to remain close to her, but soon he got more than he bargained for. 
At night, he had visions of ghosts in his nightmares. He recounted these twisted dreams to his friends. While sleeping, he felt ice-cold hands on his face. On another evening, Edgar was jerked awake and claimed he saw an evil face staring at him. It was unclear if either apparition was Jane. These visions, though, cemented Edgar's fear of darkness and the demons that lurked in it. Edgar's phobia and first heartbreak made him an especially angsty teen. He was melancholy and quiet, diametrically opposing his foster father. John was a rigid, realistic man who had no time for romance or dreams. He recognized Edgar's writing talent, but called the boy wayward and impulsive. John often reminded Edgar that he was lucky the Allens took him in, and everything in his life came from their charity. As for Edgar, he resented John for those reminders. Additionally, if Edgar knew about Allen's infidelity, which seems likely, it would have made him dislike his foster father even more. Looking for solace, 15-year-old Edgar soon found it next door in a new love, their neighbor's 15-year-old daughter, Elmira Royster. They fell in love, and a year or two later, the two got engaged, in secret. Their parents, especially Elmira's, couldn't know. Her father didn't approve of Edgar's status as a foster child. The Roysters believed the boy was living off the money and status of the Allens. Despite the disapproval, Edgar and Elmira were devoted to each other. They remained secretly engaged while he departed to attend the University of Virginia. In February of 1826, 17-year-old Edgar arrived in Charlottesville, excited to study foreign languages. The Allens sent him off to school with only $110 to pay for books and other essentials for the year, about $2,800 today. The University of Virginia was unlike most colleges of its era. Edgar had the freedom to choose his own classes and boarding, which was unheard of. He also paid little mind to the university's ban on gambling, tobacco, and alcohol. So for all its academic freedom, the prestigious college prohibited fun. The young adults attending UVA saw this as a recipe for disaster. But Edgar quickly learned that no one took the ban seriously. Gambling and booze were everywhere on campus. Student transgressions often turned violent. Students regularly fought and dueled each other. Perhaps as a result, the University of Virginia had a high dropout rate. Only 10% of students made it to their junior year. This meant the cards were stacked against Edgar, but he tried to complete his education. He was sometimes the only student who showed up with completed assignments. By the end of his first year, Edgar was awarded the highest honors. Since he breezed through his classwork, he used his free time to pine for his fiancée, Elmira, and work on his writing. Edgar even shared his short stories and poetry with friends. Like many writers, he was sensitive. But unlike his peers, his reactions were often extreme. One time, he burned a manuscript in response to criticism. During another confrontation, Edgar got into a fistfight. 
to calm his nerves, he started drinking. Edgar struggled to pay his way through college. Although his foster father was a wealthy man, he sent Edgar to UVA with less than the required amount for classes and living expenses. By 1826, Edgar estimated that he needed at least $500 to cover his basic expenses, about $13,000 today. Edgar had already used up the $110 from the Allens. He was all out of money. He blamed his foster father, John, for setting him up to fail. Edgar needed to make money and fast, so he started gambling around campus. Before long, he amassed $2,500 in gambling debts, equivalent to about $65,000 today. Realizing he was in too deep, Edgar eventually called on John Allen. His foster father paid most of Edgar's debts, but it was the end of the line for Edgar's time at UVA. Despite Edgar's academic achievements and obvious talents, John withdrew him from school in December of 1826. Back home in Richmond, Edgar agreed to work off the debt in Allen's accounting office. He had no choice but to help with bookkeeping and correspondence. But at least Edgar lived back at home and he was closer to his secret fiancée, Elmira, right? Not quite. While he was at school, Edgar wrote Elmira several letters, but they never made it to her. Her father seized them. He likely heard about Edgar's college troubles and wanted the boy to stay away from her. As a result, Elmira thought Edgar had abandoned her, so she married another man. She didn't love him, but at least her parents approved. When Edgar found out, he was devastated. At just 18 years old, Edgar was a college dropout who lived with the foster father he hated. He despised the accounting job he was forced to take, and now his secret fiancé betrayed him by marrying another man. Edgar couldn't take it anymore and wanted to leave Virginia. He'd reached his breaking point. On March 19, 1827, Edgar departed for his native Boston. There, he worked odd jobs, but struggled as the weeks went on. He was still broke. With no other options left, the melancholy writer made a radical, desperate move that left him feeling very ashamed. Coming up, Edgar Allan Poe joins the U.S. Army. Hello, listeners. It's Richard from Parcast Network. We all know that when it comes to love, every story is unique. Some play out like fairy tales, and some don't. In our love story, the new Spotify original from Parcast, you'll discover the many pathways to love as told by the actual couples who found them. Every Tuesday, our love story celebrates the ups, downs, and pivotal moments that turn complete strangers into perfect pairs. Each episode offers an intimate glimpse inside a real-life romance, with couples recounting the highlights and hardships that define their love. Whether it's a chance encounter, a former friendship, or even a former enemy, our love story proves that love can begin and blossom in the most unexpected ways. Follow Our Love Story free on Spotify, 
or wherever you listen to podcasts. Over 25 years ago, on September 29, 1998, we watched a brainy girl with curly hair drop everything to follow a guy she only kind of knew all the way to college. And so began Felicity. My name is Juliette Littman, and I'm a Felicity superfan. Join me, Amanda Foreman, who you may know better as Megan, the roommate, and Greg Grunberg, who you may also know as Sean Blunberg, as the three of us revisit our favorite moments from the show and talk to the people who helped shape it. Listen to Dear Felicity, presented by Walmart on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the story. In 1827, college dropout Edgar Allan Poe fled Virginia for Boston. After a series of odd jobs, the 18-year-old unexpectedly joined the U.S. Army that May. Admittedly, it seemed like a weird fit for the passionate, emotional writer. But at the time, Edgar thought it was his best option. After he left for Boston, his wealthy foster family cut him off financially, leaving him with no money or social standing. Growing up in high society, social status was very important to Edgar, and he missed the structure of school. As Edgar saw it, the army offered him everything he needed. But Edgar was also ashamed. He went from being the son of the richest family in Virginia to a lowly soldier. Wanting to keep it a secret, he enlisted as Edgar A. Perry. At Boston's Fort Independence, he worked as a clerk and an assistant, earning $5 a month, about $130 today. Since the military provided housing and essentials, he saved up to finally publish his first book. That summer, Edgar worked tirelessly to anonymously release a 40-page chapbook Tamerlane and other poems. Only 50 copies were printed and credited to a Bostonian. But the book was dead on arrival. No one read it. So Edgar gave up on his writing dreams for a more conventional life. He concentrated on moving up the military ranks. A higher position meant more money and status, two things he desperately wanted. During the next few years, he remained a soldier. Edgar was very unhappy and began to write to his foster father, begging for help with getting out of his enlistment. But John Allen thought the army was good for the young man and told him to stick it out. Unfortunately, while Edgar was away, his foster mother and John's wife, Frances Allen, died in 1829 from a long illness. While grieving, Edgar and John Allen temporarily reconciled. Edgar doubled down on trying to improve his military career by leaving the Army and applying for West Point. When he was admitted, it felt like he was finally on track to achieve wealth and high status. He was wrong. Unlike the University of Virginia, West Point actually enforced its rules. Cadets were barred from drinking and gambling, as well as so-called frivolous activities like reading novels. Naturally, Edgar, who thrived in artistic literary circles, hated it there. He felt like an outcast. To cope, he started writing aggressively. Edgar penned satirical poetry slamming the Academy and shared it with the cadets. The more he wrote, the less he was interested in continuing at West Point. 
Unsure of how to escape his military career path, Edgar disobeyed West Point's rules until the school was forced to court-martial him. In February of 1831, the 22-year-old was happily expelled. Which was the final straw for John Allen. He cut Edgar out of his will. John was done with his foster son. But there was no love lost between them. Edgar already resented Allen for remarrying so quickly after his foster mother's death. So Edgar left the Allens and the army behind. Ashamed of his failed military career, Edgar told friends he spent those years traveling Europe, a far more glamorous fantasy than the dreary reality. Upon his discharge in 1831, Edgar backtracked and looked up his biological family in Baltimore. He then moved in with his aunt Maria Clem and her nine-year-old daughter Virginia, his cousin. Edgar and Virginia soon bonded through academics. Virginia had never enrolled in school, so Edgar tutored her. During some of those sessions, he asked her to deliver love notes to their neighbor. But after a few years, Edgar developed amorous feelings for Virginia herself. Poe wanted to marry his biological cousin, a minor who was 13 years his junior. It was an objectionable romance, even back then. Not many details about their courtship are known. Some have also disputed if it was even romantic. It's been theorized that Maria might have supported the marriage to keep the family together. The proposed union may have also been Poe's twisted way of becoming Virginia's guardian. Either way, Edgar had become extremely possessive of Virginia by 1835. He couldn't bear to be separated from her and Maria, but by summer of 1835, it was a growing possibility. Edgar was offered a job as assistant editor of the Southern Literary Messenger, a literary journal. He'd finally get to work with the literature he loved, and the salary was $15 a week, equivalent to $445 today. But there was one catch. The job required Edgar to move back to Richmond, Virginia, 150 miles away. Edgar recognized this dream opportunity came with a ton of baggage. By that point, John Allen had died, leaving nothing to Edgar. Not that he was expecting anything. And Edgar's ex-fiancée, Elmira, who betrayed him, was there too. All on top of the fact that Edgar still had the shame of his old gambling debts at the University of Virginia. Despite those calamities, the job was Edgar's only solid literary opportunity. The salary would also allow him to provide for Maria and Virginia. So he accepted the offer and returned to Richmond. And it worked out for a little bit. The Southern Literary Messenger's founder, Thomas Willis White, respected Edgar. But before long, they clashed over each other's styles. White liked to control every aspect of the journal, while Edgar was more unpredictable. Edgar's book critiques were jarringly harsh, and he sometimes showed up to work drunk. His emotions were extremely volatile. Like a powder keg, all he needed was a spark to explode. The spark came only a few weeks after Edgar began the new job. In August 1835, 
a long-lost cousin entered the picture. 32-year-old Nielsen Poe was the owner of the Baltimore Chronicle newspaper. He was the same age as Edgar, but far more wealthy and successful. So Edgar was especially angry when Nielsen tried to break up Edgar and Virginia. The writer called Nielsen his bitterest enemy. Nielsen, on the other hand, was trying to look out for Virginia. He didn't approve of Edgar's intentions to marry their cousin, and not because it was incest. Nielsen disapproved of Edgar marrying Virginia because she was only 13 years old. To prevent the marriage, Nielsen offered to become Virginia's guardian. He'd educate her and introduce her to Baltimore society. When Edgar heard this idea, he exploded in an unhinged letter to Maria. Edgar knew Nielsen's offer might help his cousin, but he begged Maria and Virginia to decline. He called Virginia his only reason for living and said that if he lost her, it just might kill him. It seems that Maria and Virginia didn't respond, and Edgar remained devastated. Just a month later, in September of 1835, Edgar's fear of losing Virginia had driven him into a deep depression. His boss, Thomas Willis White, noticed and only assigned him simple tasks. But soon, Edgar showed up to work, morbidly drunk and suicidal. White fired Edgar for his behavior, but he was also concerned for his employees' well-being. He cared about the struggling writer. In a letter to Edgar, White wrote that he'd be willing to work with him again, but only if he stopped drinking. But at the moment, Edgar didn't care about his job. He used his firing as an excuse to return to Baltimore. This time, he begged Maria and Virginia, in person, to reject Nielsen's offer of guardianship. He even supposedly got a marriage license for himself and then 13-year-old Virginia, listing her age as 21. Maria and Virginia saw that he was passionate, and they were convinced of his promises. So they turned down Nielsen in October of 1835. Edgar went from being depressed to elated. This time, nothing was going to come between him and Virginia. He decided to move back to Richmond with Maria and Virginia in tow. Presenting himself as a changed man, he got his job back from White. Within two months, White named Edgar as the top editor of the Southern Literary Messenger. Pleased with his successes, Edgar wrote in a letter to a friend, my health is better than for years past. My mind is fully occupied. My pecuniary difficulties have vanished. I have a fair prospect of future success. In a word, all is right. Everything was going Edgar's way, and he finally got his heart's desire. On May 16, 1836, 27-year-old Edgar married 14-year-old Virginia at their boarding house. The Reverend thought Virginia was 21 years old, her age on the marriage certificate. The couple then departed for a honeymoon where they presumably consummated the union. But whether or not that happened has been widely debated. According to Jeffrey Meyer's biography, an unnamed witness to the relationship claimed Edgar and Virginia acted more as sister and brother for several years. 
Another biographer, Joseph Wood Crutch, also argued that they didn't have sex because Virginia was ill. However, records show that she was healthy at the time. The best evidence of their sex life, or lack thereof, may be Edgar's writing. Published in 1842, the short story Eleonora was about a man who lived with his aunt and cousin, like Edgar. Eventually, the narrator married his cousin, and they passionately consummated the marriage. However, the story was published as fiction, so the events described didn't necessarily happen. Edgar could have been fantasizing about the sex life he didn't have with his cousin. Either way, the wedded bliss was short-lived. As top editor of the Southern Literary Messenger, Edgar felt the pressure to succeed. He still argued with the journal's founder, Thomas Willis White. They rarely agreed on the publication's direction. But Edgar couldn't quit. He needed the money to provide for Maria and Virginia. The stress was enough to push him to drink again. This time, Edgar imbibed covertly. If White caught him drunk, he'd fire Edgar again and likely never rehire him. But it didn't matter. For Edgar, one drink was never enough. He indulged excessively. He bought alcohol until he ran out of money. Edgar was no longer a casual drinker, but a concerning alcoholic. His drunken stupors transformed him from melancholy to vulgar. And it didn't take long for it to catch up with him professionally. By the end of 1836, White caught him drinking and fired Edgar for the final time. He and his wife moved to Philadelphia and New York, and Edgar supported them on his meager writing wages. In 1838, Edgar published his first and only novel, the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket. The novel was not a great success. Edgar descended deeper into alcoholism and poverty. Soon, his wife Virginia felt the effects of his addiction. Since Edgar spent what little money they had on alcohol, the couple had little cash for essentials like food. The pair lived on bread and molasses for months. By 1842, 20-year-old Virginia was severely malnourished. Due to his drinking and depression, 33-year-old Edgar barely noticed until it was too late. As Jeffrey Myers describes in his book, Edgar Allan Poe, His Life and Legacy, an ominous event occurred for Edgar that winter. On the evening of January 20th, 1842, Virginia played the piano and sang for her husband. But in the middle of the song... Blood gushed from Virginia's mouth, hemorrhaging badly. Edgar rushed to call a doctor, perhaps believing she had a ruptured blood vessel. But in reality, she had contracted the era's most fatal disease, tuberculosis. Virginia partially recovered, but she needed more care than Edgar could provide. As she laid in bed, she was barely able to breathe in their poorly appointed apartment. Edgar still hoped for the best and was unwilling to accept that he might lose Virginia again, because this time he faced an insurmountable foe, her failing health. He didn't allow anyone, not even the doctor, to mention she might die. 
In a letter, Edgar told a friend that he became insane with long intervals of horrible sanity. As Virginia's health continued to worsen, Edgar's fragile mental state sharply deteriorated. Next, Edgar Allan Poe faces a heartbreaking and mysterious demise. This episode is brought to you by the Inspire Collection by Kalia. Ladies, your workouts are about to get an upgrade. The new Inspire leggings by Kalia are exactly what you want when it comes to activewear. It's their most versatile collection yet. They look good, feel good, and stay put. Using Lycra Adaptive Fiber, it compresses and molds to the body like a second skin. And it's unbelievably stretchy, so you can move however you want. Shop the Inspire Collection by Kalia now, exclusively at Dick's Sporting Goods. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now back to the story. In 1842, 33-year-old Edgar Allan Poe was on the brink of a meltdown. He achieved writing success, but his beloved wife and cousin was deathly ill. 20-year-old Virginia had contracted tuberculosis. For several years, she suffered hemorrhages and was barely conscious. Edgar was terrified to lose the love of his life. By March of 1843, he had little hope left for her recovery, but refused to accept that she was going to die. Perhaps knowing he was culpable for some of her illness, he spiraled. Edgar channeled these intense feelings into dark and grim tales, which also became his most famous works. Published in 1843, his short stories The Telltale Heart and The Black Cat featured nervous, murderous narrators. Some believe his frustration and trepidation about Virginia's impending death inspired them. In addition to his eerie stories, Edgar became the editor of Graham's Magazine in Philadelphia. There, he was ushered into a legendary literary inner circle, often corresponding with Charles Dickens and Walt Whitman. Finally, Edgar was the well-respected writer he always wanted to be. But he was still nearly penniless. As editor of Graham's, his salary was $800 a year, about $28,000 today. The money wasn't enough especially in light of Virginia's growing medical expenses. Edgar was frustrated and resentful at his circumstances. He couldn't accept that he was both a successful writer and living in abject poverty with a dying wife. So he expressed it the best way he knew how, binge drinking and writing stories about murder. In January of 1845, The Evening Mirror published one of his most famous poems, the Raven. Thanks to the poem's success, Edgar became a household name. He was paid $9 for it, equivalent to $300 today. Understandably, he was tired of working hard for paltry pay. 
Edgar was beyond irritated that no one saw his value as a writer. So he decided to join the Broadway Journal in New York City, first as the editor, then as its owner. Finally, Edgar could write whatever he wanted and keep all the profits. Nobody could tell him his critiques were too harsh. Yet as the boss, power immediately went to his head. In March of 1845, Edgar unleashed an especially savage critique on Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Edgar was a fan of the 38-year-old Longfellow's work, but he envied his success. Longfellow came from a wealthy family and was a professor at Harvard College. He didn't have the same money issues that plagued Edgar, and for that, Edgar was bitter. In a jealous rage, Edgar accused Longfellow of plagiarism. Edgar publicly claimed that Longfellow copied his poems. Disliking controversy, Longfellow declined to respond. Instead, on his behalf, other literary figures anonymously attacked Edgar. The resulting scandal made him even more famous in the literary world. But it wasn't enough to keep his publication afloat. The Broadway Journal folded in January of 1846. Edgar felt like a total failure and retreated to Fordham, New York, now part of the Bronx. There, he and 24-year-old Virginia lived in a small cottage as she wasted away from tuberculosis. She died a year later on January 30th, 1847. Edgar had known her fate for years, but that still didn't prepare him for such a profound loss. His devastation was beyond words. In the weeks following, Edgar was depressed and coped by drinking. His physical health suffered too. He developed a fever and an irregular heartbeat. Eventually, Edgar was diagnosed with a brain lesion. One nurse who took care of him theorized that it caused his unstable emotions while drunk. It is unlikely that this was medically accurate. While mourning Virginia, Edgar's poem, Ula Loom, was published in December of 1847. In it, he struggled with staying loyal to his wife's memory. He hinted at moving on with a new love. In Edgar's state of alcoholic isolation, it seems he just turned to the next closest woman in his life, his Aunt Maria. Edgar and Maria supported each other emotionally and physically in what was perhaps another incestuous union. Edgar was desperate not to be alone and looked to Maria as a replacement for his wife and a mother figure. As for Maria, she was more than happy to keep him company. She once wrote, I do not remember a single night that he failed to come and kiss his mother, as he called me, before going to bed. But this kind of life wasn't enough. If he stayed with Maria, Edgar knew he'd never escape poverty. He wanted to find a new wife and had high expectations. She needed to take care of him, stop his drinking, and finance a new literary magazine. Fulfilling all those requirements seemed impossible, but he would still try. Edgar courted several attractive, wealthy women in the years following. He admired their beauty, and the women adored his intellect and sensitivity. Each relationship ended for various reasons, including Poe's own difficult behavior. For his final try, 
Edgar rekindled an old flame in Richmond, Virginia. In July of 1848, Edgar was visiting Richmond and decided to call on his former fiancée, Elmira Royster Shelton, by showing up at her house unannounced. He certainly hadn't forgotten that she'd ended their secret engagement by marrying another man after thinking Edgar forgot about her while at college. But the childhood sweethearts never gave up on each other. At this point in 1848, their respective spouses were dead. They were both single and in the same city, and they still loved each other. It was the perfect setup for a fairy tale ending, something that Edgar rarely wrote. As perfect as it seemed, Elmira wasn't willing to make it work. Their interests and religious beliefs were vastly different. Her children opposed the marriage, and Elmira's late husband had a remarriage clause in his will. He'd left her his $100,000 estate, but if she remarried, Elmira would only receive one-fourth of it. So Elmira refused Edgar's marriage proposal, but the writer was still convinced they'd marry one day. Edgar left Richmond on September 27, 1849, hoping to wrap up his life in New York City before returning to Virginia. Unfortunately, Edgar never made it back to Richmond, or even New York. On his journey north, he stopped in Baltimore to drink whiskey with friends, breaking his previous three-month sobriety. After that night, Edgar unexpectedly disappeared. Six days later, on October 3rd, a man spotted Edgar outside Gunner's Hall, a tavern in Baltimore. Inside, the bar was bustling with people drinking and voting in a local election. But sitting outside was Edgar, slumped over and barely conscious. His hair was unkempt, and his cheap suit was soiled. The man quizzed Edgar about his name and what had happened to him. Edgar could barely talk, but finally he strung together a request. He wanted the man to contact his friend, Dr. Joseph Snodgrass. Snodgrass was both a doctor and an editor from Virginia who lived close to the tavern. The doctor wasn't necessarily the most loyal friend, but even so, Snodgrass rushed to Edgar's side. He was shocked at the writer's attire. Snodgrass knew Edgar to be a man who always wore expensive clothing. The doctor had a theory. Edgar sold his suit, bought a cheaper suit, and used the rest of the cash on alcohol. Or even worse, Edgar had passed out drunk, been robbed of his own clothing, and was forced to wear rags he found on the street. Describing Edgar's mental state, Snodgrass said, he was so utterly stupefied with liquor, so insensible was he, that we had to carry him to the carriage as if a corpse. Later that day, Edgar was admitted to the hospital, where Dr. John Moran cared for him. The resident physician observed that Edgar didn't know who he was with or what happened to him. He only spoke in gibberish to hallucinations. His limbs trembled and his face was pale. Edgar only regained consciousness two days later on October 5th. But still, he spoke incoherently. For instance, he believed that his wife Virginia was still alive. Moran tried to stay hopeful, 
But at one point, Edgar told him, the best thing his best friend could do would be to blow out his brains with a pistol. And his condition only got worse from there. Later that day, Moran arrived to find two nurses trying to restrain a delirious Edgar. This behavior continued into the next day when he repeatedly called out Reynolds. No one had any idea who Reynolds was. Finally, exhausted, Edgar stopped struggling after midnight on October 7th. After sleeping for a few hours, the delirious writer awoke. Groggy, Edgar shook his head and said, Lord, help my poor soul. Those were his final words. Forty-year-old Edgar Allan Poe died on October 7, 1849, at 5 a.m. His exact cause of death remains unknown. An autopsy was never done on the body. And over the years, it seems that Edgar's medical records, including his death certificate, disappeared. Naturally, the mysterious nature of his death has invited speculation. The most conventional theory is that Edgar died of alcohol poisoning. It makes sense, knowing his history of alcoholism. But another reason some believe this is because he had the same exact symptoms as another writer who died of it, Dylan Thomas. As Edgar Allan Poe's biographer Jeffrey Myers explains, the 39-year-old poet Dylan Thomas died over a century later in 1954, and like Edgar, was a suicidal alcoholic. After a night of drinking, Thomas was found unconscious. In the hospital, he was delirious and comatose for four days before dying. Other theories about Edgar's demise, however, leave alcohol out of the equation completely. Some scholars speculate that Edgar was badly beaten causing his delirium. Why he was beaten is also disputed. Some say it was an election day cooping by a violent election gang. It was sadly common at the time for candidates to get bystanders drunk and force them to vote in their favor. If they refused, the person was badly beaten and sometimes murdered. Another biographer from Edgar Allan Poe's era thought hooligans simply assaulted and robbed him, unrelated to the election. Over the years, people have amassed a long list of potential causes of Edgar's death. Among these are a brain tumor, rabies, poisoning, and murder. Adding to the mystery was Edgar's obituary, which was harsh and wholly inaccurate. Written by his rival Rufus Griswold, the New York Tribune painted Edgar as a crazy drunk. In it, Griswold declared that Edgar had no friends and no one would miss him. But that certainly wasn't true. In the long term, the obituary did little to tarnish Edgar Allan Poe's legacy. His short stories and poems stand on their own and have inspired countless authors like H.P. Lovecraft and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Edgar's work and legacy have endured for generations. But like the other hallmarks of horror we've discussed, his life was a calamity that people just couldn't look away from. Poe's tragic existence was the machine that produced some of the most famous and beloved horror literature. 
and we carry on enjoying Edgar's work without any guilt. For instance, his poem The Raven is still regularly taught to young children. Sadly, though, if you look beyond his clever rhymes, Edgar Allan Poe's grim realities were much darker than any horror story. Thanks for listening to The Dark Side Of. For more information on Edgar Allan Poe, amongst the many sources we used, we found Edgar Allan Poe, His Life and Legacy by Jeffrey Myers extremely helpful to our research. You can find more episodes of The Dark Side Of and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. And remember, silver linings are overrated. The Dark Side Of is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Anthony Valsic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of The Dark Side Of was written by Mallory Cara, with writing assistance by Mackenzie Moore, fact-checking by Claire Cronin, and research by Chelsea Wood and Brian Petrus. The Dark Side Of stars Kate Leonard, and Richard Rossner. Hi, it's Richard again. Searching for your new favorite show? Remember to follow the newest Spotify original from Parcast, Our Love Story. Every Tuesday, catch an intimate glimpse inside a real-life romance with couples recounting the highlights and hardships that define their love. Listen to Our Love Story free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.